Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Malachi 3, 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord for us. The California gold rush brought more than 300,000 people to the western U.S. They were all, of course, in search of untold riches. This happened, if you know your history, between 1848 and 1855. There were rumors of gold, true rumors, I should say, rumors of gold that lured people, really from all over the world, into the hills of California. These people were known as 49ers, by the way, which is where the football team gets its name. And so what they did was they panned for gold. They they had not really figured out better processes. Plus, these were just people who, in some cases, left family, left things behind and went with nothing more than this pan, right? And so you've seen images of it if you watch the old westerns. And they go down to the river or stream and, and they, by hand, scoop up dirt and water in this pan. And then you sort of swish it and swirl it around. The water sort of goes over the edges. And what happens is the gold, which is heavier, settles to the bottom. And so then you can identify as you look into your pan, oh, there is gold. In fact, I brought a picture of a miner. This is a real live uh, picture. Here's a man, and he has about 3.5 ounces of gold dust. So it would have been worth to him $55. $55. Now, if you found that amount of gold today, it would be worth (laughs) $7,000. Seven thousand dollars for really nothing more than about a palmful of dust. And so a few people did strike it rich in the gold rush, of course, but most were sorely disappointed. And part of it was because they were collecting this, what they thought was precious metal that only turned out to be pyrite. Pyrite is fool's gold. Fool's gold. And the best way to describe fool's gold or pyrite is to say it looks and feels like what you think gold would. It's bright. It's shiny. It's golden. But real gold is actually very different. The real gold is actually much more dull in color. Real gold is actually also much softer. And so the the ones who knew what they were doing, they knew that you could could uh, test the real gold nugget by hitting it or striking it. And real gold is actually malleable. It it, it is soft and squishy, so you can strike it and it will flatten. Whereas pyrite, you strike it, it actually sparks. It's a hard rock. Real gold has no smell or odor, whereas fool's gold really has a, uh, I'm, I'm told, has this really stinky, almost like rotten egg type of odor. And so what we had is this phenomenon where people left everything in behind in search of a big payday, and all they ended up with was shiny, stinky, smelly, worthless hunks of rock. (laughs) 
The treasure they were seeking, the, we, we should say, the blessing that they were seeking didn't deliver. It didn't live up. And it's like a lot of treasures that people chase after in the world. Things that sparkle, things that shine. So tempting to rush after them. But they're stinky and worthless. Stinky and worthless. What's real treasure? What's the real gold? Well, it's Christ. And it's the blessings that flow from him. He is the only thing worth rushing after. He is better. He is more valuable than anything else. And that is what we're going to talk about this morning. So my name is John, and I am thrilled that you've joined us today. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. We are going to wrap up a sermon series today called Fresh Faith. We've been in the book of Malachi, and so we're going to be there in the final section of Malachi this morning. This, of course, is an Old Testament prophet, a minor prophet. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And he was sent, that that is the prophet Malachi, was sent to God's people at a time when they were lukewarm. Their faith had grown stale. And he says they need a fresh faith. And so here's what we learn from the book of Malachi. We learn to love the things that God loves. He says very clearly that we need a fresh passion for the name of the Lord. He says we need a fresh passion for our marriages, for our covenant relationships. And then this morning, we're going to see we need a fresh passion for the blessings of God. Now, that's a loaded statement, especially in church when you hear blessings of God. And we're going to we're going to spend some time here this morning. We're going to camp out here. But let's just preface it by saying true blessings, true blessings, the grace of God in our times of need. So not our whims, not our greedy desires, (laughs) the true blessings of God where, where we, with ready hearts, stand open to receive all that the Lord gives us. And so I'll just put it here right up front as we talk about this message this morning in Malachi 3, that it's an issue of trust. I mean, it's all nice and fun and hoorah for us to say, yeah, fresh passion for the blessings of God. I want blessings. But this really is an issue of trust. Now, for some of you, this is the sermon today. For some of you, it's like, like I need to go no further than this. Do you trust God and the blessings that he has for your life? Or do you continue to trust yourself? That you know what's best, that you know what you need and what you want. One of the best ways for us, and this is just a gut level check for us spiritually this morning. One of the best ways to discern that in our own life is to think about our prayers. What do our prayers sound like? And if our prayers are characterized by telling God what we want, then we're probably struggling with this issue of trust. Verses. Prayers that say, your will be done. Oh God, in your infinite wisdom, give me today my daily bread. And give me that which you determine I need. And so it's an issue of trust. Will we trust? When we talk about The blessings of God, will we say, it's whatever God says he's going to bless me with, and that's what I want, and that's what I'm thankful for. 
What if God's blessing in your life looks like singleness? God's blessing in your life might look like singleness. Can I build a biblical case for that? Well, how about the Apostle Paul? Was he blessed? He was single. We also know something about he was, he was beaten and he was persecuted. Was he blessed? Was Daniel blessed? He got thrown into a lion's den. <laughs> How about the widow that Jesus praised? Was she blessed? She put everything she had into the poor box. How about the Levites? Were they blessed? The, one, the ones that scriptures say in the Old Testament accounts especially over and over and over that they were the ones who were blessed. Were they blessed? They were not given an inheritance in the promised land. So the, the people of God, you know something about they're enslaved in, in Egypt under Pharaoh and let my people go. And then they wander through the wilderness and they get there. They make it to Canaan. They're in the promised land and they divide up the land. So the Lord gives allotments to, okay, this tribe of Reuben gets this, tribe of Simeon gets that. He's dividing up the land. They come to Levi, the tribe of Levi. He goes, they don't get a plot of land. How do you think they felt? Wait a minute, I get no inheritance? Wait a minute, I have nothing to give to my children and grandchildren? Deuteronomy 18 verse 2 says, the Lord is their inheritance. They weren't given a plot of land. Were they not blessed? The blessings of God are sometimes counterintuitive. And it's an issue of trust. So I'll just say, we're tempted to think of blessing as riches and wealth. In fact, we'll, we'll use that synonymously. I'm guilty of it just as you are. We'll use those terms synonymously. Wealth and riches and God's blessing. Oh, we've been really blessed. The blessings of God are not always riches and wealth. Just ask a lottery winner. <laughs> are they blessed? Their lives are a wreck. Mo money, mo problems. We do the same with like health and vitality. We, we, we sometimes think, well, the blessing of God is that, that I'm physically capable and healed and whole. And yet does the Lord not sometimes give a thorn in our flesh? Same with fame and clout and notoriety. They're not always God's way of blessing. Sometimes his way, his plan, his blessing is relative obscurity and faithful service behind the scenes. And so our challenge, my friends, is to trust the Lord and to then recognize the blessings of God rather than overlook them. It reminds me of the story of the very wealthy lawyer, and he always did these extravagant, extraordinary gifts to his father for his dad's birthday. It became an annual event where he almost tries, tries to outdo himself, he certainly outdid all of his siblings, by giving these extravagant gifts to his father for his birthday. So, like a cruise around the globe, a big game hunting trip to Africa. One year he gave him pilot's lessons so he could learn how to fly, a lifelong boyhood dream of his father. The year before that, he gave him the entire collection of Beatles albums on vinyl. But this year he feels like he's really outdone himself. He has found and purchased a rare black palm cockatoo. And so he has the bird trained, and he actually has it memorize large volumes like dictionaries and stuff. And so the bird essentially is this real live Alexa. <laughs> it's this, it's this in-home pet who you can basically ask anything and it will give a response to. He's also trained it 
to give commands to the smart devices in the father's home. In other words, when the father walks into the room, the bird commands the lights to turn on. At the end of the day, he tells the dishwasher to run. In the morning, he tells the coffee maker to make the coffee. So he spent well over $20,000 on the bird, and he gifts it to his father. He usually waits a little while, and then he calls his dad just to kind of gloat and check in on how extraordinary his gift was this year. And he's just, he's just going to kind of bask in the glory of his amazing gift giving. And so he calls his dad up. Well, Dad, what'd you think of the bird? The dad says, oh, son, it was delicious. <laughs> we don't always recognize God's blessings. Sometimes we, we think it is something else. They don't always come as we expect. His blessings, listen to me, they're not always what we would choose. But as we look at the word of God, it says that his blessings come to those who trust him. To those who trust the Lord, he promises his blessing. And so this message from the book of Malachi, from chapter 3, is that we need a fresh passion for the Lord's blessings. We are called, each and every one of us, and today is a new day to renew this. We are called to live in submission to God's will and God's plan. To live in grateful response to the blessings that he chooses to bestow upon us. So if you've got your Bible with you, turn to Malachi chapter 3. Here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together. We're going to look at this chapter, and I want to point out three ways from these verses that the Lord promises to bless us. Three blessings of God. The prophet Malachi brings this word to have a fresh passion for the Lord and his blessings. And the first is that he will be near us. He will be near us. God promises that he will bless us with his very presence. Now, I'll remind you that the worship of God's people in, in this time period, this is after the exile, they're back in Jerusalem, they've had the excitement of rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls, reinstituting worship, and now it's just kind of going through the motions. Their, their worship has grown stale. In fact, chapter 1, you might remember this. In chapter 1 of Malachi, the Lord says, I just wish someone would close the doors of the temple so they can't keep coming in with their worthless offerings, with their pathetic songs and worship. And yet, God doesn't say, the doors are closed, you cannot come in. He stands ready to commune with his people. That he, a holy God, can be known by us. He is not like us. God, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's perfect in all of his ways, he comes near to us. And so we're in Malachi chapter 3, let's key in on verse 7 together, where he says, ever since the time of your ancestors you've turned away from my decrees, turned away from my decrees, and you've not kept them, and then look at this, return to me, and I will return to you. This is clearly demonstrated in the birth of Jesus Christ. Most, I, I would say the, the, the point at which this is most clear is God drawing near to us by sending his son as an infant, breaking into our existence. And he calls us then to turn to him, to draw near to him. He wants us to trust him. And I'm so thrilled, as I said before, that you're here today. And I want to urge you and implore you, encourage you, turn to him today. Not tomorrow. Don't say, well, maybe next season, maybe once I get out of school, maybe once I figure this out, do it today. You are not promised tomorrow. And we've chosen to 
to understand Malachi and to teach Malachi, I think, in a very authentic way that we learn to love the things that God loves. Yes. But we don't lose sight of the fact that Malachi is a word of warning. It is a word of warning. The day is coming. Malachi makes this clear. The day is coming when you won't be able to stand in his presence. When he returns as judge, he makes this very clear. This will be a day of destruction. For who? The wicked. For who? Those who have not turned to the Lord. And yet we have great hope that the Lord has given us today to turn to him and he will draw near to us. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I want you to hear this this morning, that God is beckoning you to return to him. He's asking you, let go of those things in your life that are sinful. Turn away from those things that you know do not honor him. Trust him and trust him completely. And as far as keeping one foot in the world and one foot in in the sanctuary, he says, I don't want your lip service. Away from me with your noisy songs. These people honor me with their lips, remember? They honor me with their lips and yet what? Their hearts are are far from me. And so what we're talking about today is it's not honoring God with our lips. It's not, well, I can check things off my spiritual to-do list. I attended a worship service and I even hummed along with the worship songs. It is turn to him sincerely and completely to say, oh God, I want to trust you. I'm not going to rely on my own insight, my own ingenuity, my own ability. I'm going to rely on you. And so what you bless me with is what I say thank you for. Today is Palm Sunday, by the way. Next, next week, Resurrection Day. Hope you'll be here. Hope you'll invite some friends to join us. It's going to be a, a morning of high celebration and worship of our resurrected Lord. But it's Palm Sunday. This is, this is the Sunday where we celebrate, we re- remember Jesus entering Jerusalem. And if you'll remember that scene, there are all kinds of people and they're shouting, Hosanna! It means save us. They needed saving. They, they were in a predicament. They were in a tough spot. They needed a savior and they looked at Jesus and they called out, Hosanna, save us. They're saying, we trust you, Jesus. We believe you can be the one to deliver us from sin and slavery. But by Friday, they're shouting, crucify him. So what happened there? They said, wait a minute. Hosanna, hmm. He's not doing things the way we want him to. He's not the kind of savior I want or need. See, they wanted the blessings of God, but they wanted them on their own terms. So they turned on Jesus and said, no, it's not, not your way, not that way. So let's just crucify him away with him. And we do the same thing. We want the blessings of God, but we want it our way. And so the, here's the truth. We need to repent. We need to return to the Lord. As we see here, Malachi 3 and verse 7, return to me, the Lord says, and I will return to you. So we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the ways I've done it on my own. I'm sorry for the ways I've not lived up to that Bible verse that's on the wall of my house that says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. We need to repent. We need to turn back to the Lord. We need to have a fresh passion for his presence. This is the good news. This is the the blessing that we're talking about here is that he draws near to us. We can delight in our relationship with him. 
So let's recognize this morning, what a blessing that we have, that we have a God who draws near to us. The second blessing I want to point out it is at the beginning of the chapter, and so we're going to go to verse 1 in Malachi chapter 3. It's, it's this, he will refine us. He will refine us. We'll see that word come several times over these next few verses. But let's just go to the top there. So Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Let's stop there. This is a prophecy about John the Baptist. This is talking about uh, the cousin of Jesus, the guy who came as a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. So he's going to send John the Baptist. He's going to prepare the way before. Look at, I want you to see, this is in the NIV. You might have a different translation, but, but uh, send my messenger, John the Baptist, and he's going to prepare a way before who? Me. Jesus is God. Fully God. And we see that clearly here. Okay, so then, next part of verse 1. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. Now that is a reference to Jesus. That he brings a new covenant. This would have been a group very familiar with the the covenants of old. And we've talked about that here recently. But he brings a new covenant here. It's going to be one in which his blood atones for sins once and for all. And then, of course, we understand that according to God's master plan of salvation, he's going to come as a baby, born of a virgin, live a sinless life, willingly go to the cross, and by the power of God, be raised to life on the third day. He's then going to ascend into heaven to prepare a place for all those who believe. And one day, he's going to return. And how we eagerly await his sure return. That he is going to come back, and he's going to return in judgment. That's what Malachi starts referring to in the next verse, which is verse 2. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers. Against those who defraud laborers of their wages who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Interesting dichotomy here. I I mentioned this uh, just a moment ago, but Malachi is a book of great hope. And it teaches us to love the things God loves, and it instills a fresh faith in us. But at the same time, the good news of the gospel is that we've all been affected by sin. And God doesn't just say, well, that's okay. Well, I understand. He's holy. And he will hold accountable each one for their sin. But again, the good news of the gospel is, although we've all sinned, the Lord blesses us. He blesses us by doing what? Refining us, purifying us, correcting us, making us, by the blood of his son Jesus, making us into something that is acceptable to him. 
So yes, he blesses us with his correction. Praise God that he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. But he blesses us with his correction. So the imagery here is like a refiner's fire. And if you know anything about the purification of metals, you know, they take it, they heat it up, and all the impurities uh, come to the top. It's called dross. You see that word throughout the scripture when they talk about it. And then they scoop off the dross, so the impurities are out, and then they do it again. So when you've been through the fire, and God has refined you, he doesn't say, okay, good enough. He says, I'm going to do it again. It's a process that just keeps going over and over and over and over. And that's what the Lord does with us. The Lord, he works to cut things out of our life that weigh us down. And that process can be painful. So in 2 Corinthians 12, the Lord gives a thorn in the flesh of the Apostle Paul. He pleads with God to take it away from him. But then he ultimately says he delights in his weakness. Do you trust God that way? That he has blessed you, and it's not the blessing you wanted. You pleaded with him to take away the thorn in the flesh. You pleaded with him the way you wanted it to be, but the Lord says, no, this is the way it's going to be. Do you trust God that kind of way that Paul says he delights in weakness? Do you welcome the blessing of God's refinement in your life? God cares about every part of your life. He wants to redeem you. He wants to purify you. That means your thoughts. That means your actions. It means your motives, your attitude, your words. He wants to refine you so that you reflect him. He wants us to love the things that he loves, to be a blessing to others. He wants us to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. And so we're on a journey with the Lord where he's teaching us and he's growing us and he's correcting us. So let's not miss the blessing of God's refinement. Oh, that the Lord would continue to work on us and, even, and sanctify us because without it, we have no hope. We've talked about the blessing of God's presence. We've talked about the blessing of God's refinement. I have one more that I want to point out from the passage in Malachi chapter 3. God will provide for us. We don't have to worry about chasing after those golden nuggets in the hills of California. Because I want a better life and I want something more. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. The Lord says he's going to provide for us. Jesus says really clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about them. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and then all these other things. They're going to be added to you as well. But he says, don't pursue them. They're like fool's gold, we could say. They're like fool's gold. He says, that's what the pagans do. That's what the unbelievers do. That's what the wicked do. Because they don't have faith. Because they don't believe and trust that God is going to provide. But don't be like them. You can have faith. You can live a life that says, I'm not worried about those things. Because I trust God. And he says he's going to provide for me. If you know, and when I say no, I mean you believe. You trust. You, you know that you know, and you choose to willingly say, I believe this is true, that God owns all things. Everything in the created order is at God's disposal. And you also believe that God is good. 
See, that's where he's your provider. You don't have to chase after fool's gold. You, you can walk in line with what Jesus says to do here. Seeking first his kingdom. Seeking his righteousness. And trusting that he's going to provide for you. It's really then out of that place of trust that we can be generous with all of the things that he gives to us. The things that we have stewardship over, we can be generous with. See, the people of Israel, again, back in this time, for, for the people that Malachi was speaking to, they were holding back their tithes. We won't spend, uh, spend time going there, but the Old Testament sets up these clear lines of how much they were supposed to give and when and where. And when they build the temple, they build these big like storehouse rooms where these grains and things that the people were supposed to bring, these were all supposed to go there. But they were holding back. They weren't giving what they were prescribed to give. They were maybe giving some, maybe giving most, but not quite all of it. Well, they weren't sure if they were going to have enough. And, and you and I in our rational thinking go, well, that kind of makes sense. If I want to feed my wife and eight children, and I've got the means to do so in my hand... I'm not sure if I take a portion of that and just give it away that we're going to have enough to eat. And so that's what they started doing. And remember, their crops were really kind of failing. They, they weren't an abundant season for them. Uh, their bank account was always just coming up short. Like they always seemed to be lacking. And yet the Lord actually says it's because they've been robbing him. Cammie read that part of the passage for us. God says, you've been robbing me. He says they need to trust him enough to bring the whole tithe. And then he's going to bless them with his provision. So let's look at verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And this is the Lord calling us to trust. And if you're familiar with the, the passage in Deuteronomy where it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, it's a different Hebrew word. And I know sometimes we're limited in our, in our study when we're reading the Bible in English. And it's like, don't test the Lord. And now the Lord says, test me. It's a different word. And the one is, the, the, the don't put the Lord to the test is this skeptical, God, you've got to prove yourself. And this one is simply saying, trust me with this. It, it, this is test me, meaning like, I'm going to come through. So show me that you, you trust that I can. So it's a, different, it's a different word. And I just want to be clear on that. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there won't be room enough to store it. I heard a true testimony recently I thought I would share. I'll keep it brief, but it was, it was a person who, in their work, they didn't always take all of their vacation days. And so, over the course of six years, in working at this particular job, they had, oh, I think it was 200 and some, like, hours or... Yeah, that they hadn't taken in vacation time. And they didn't know this was going to happen, but their employer looked into it and says, we're going to actually compensate you for that time. And so they, they cut them a check to the tune of $10,000 for unused vacation time that the person wasn't expecting. And the thing that stood out to this individual who get this unexpected $10,000 check, the thing that stood out is, I was recently convicted about not tithing, and I started tithing at my church. <laughs> and you go, wow, that's crazy. The reason that we get excited about that, by the way, and I want to be very cautious here, tre treading on 
kind of thin ice, you know, because I'm not saying you start tithing, $10,000 checks start appearing in your mail. So please, I'm not saying that. And the reason that I get excited when I hear a story like that is not, oh, gee, maybe a $10,000 check will come to me. Maybe you'll get a $10,000 check. I don't get excited because of that. I get excited because we know a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's what I get excited about is our God can do that. Test me in this, the Lord says, and see if I'm not just going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you're not even going to have room enough to store it. Well, what happens with the excess? If I can't contain all the blessings of God in my life, what happens with the overflow? Oh, it's to those people around me. That The Lord wants to use us as a blessing. We're going to learn that when we study the life of Abraham this year. It's not just, Abraham, you're so cool. You're so special. I just want to bless you. It's, I'm going to bless you. And guess what? Through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. That's why God pours out these abundant blessings on us, blessings that we can't even contain. It's so that we'll share them with those around us so that others will also experience the blessing. So I get excited about the fact, not that a $10,000 check might come my way, but that we know a God who has unlimited resources, who can bestow blessings and who is good. And so we choose to trust him. We trust him. And again, I want to circle back to where, where we started. The greatest blessing is Christ. The salvation that we know through putting our trust in him. Just like the Levites, our inheritance is the Lord himself. It's not riches. It's not fame. It's not superpowers. It's his unmerited favor. It's we've done nothing to deserve it or earn it. And yet, by putting our trust in him, we can have a relationship with him. And the relationship with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. And so, yes, we are in that period of history where we are eagerly awaiting his return. What good news. That God, the one who knows everything about you, loves you. He takes great delight in you. And he's going to bless you. And now you know a little more about what that means. He's going to bless you by refining you. He's going to bless you by providing for you. He's going to bless you with his presence. That he will draw near to you. And that doesn't end. That lasts for all eternity. I do want to turn to verses 17 and 18, rather, as we close this out. The Lord says, On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. Wow. That tells us something about God's heart toward us. That we're not junk and we're not fool's gold, but we are his treasured possession. And he says, I'll spare them. Again, this is in the context of doom and judgment. And in eternity separated from God for the wicked, he says, I'll spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So choose this day who you will serve. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because God has given us today. At the end of chapter 4 in Malachi, which is a very short chapter we don't really have time to get into this morning, the last word in the book of Malachi, which is the last word in the book of the, the Old Testament, it's destruction. Or depending on which translation you read, it's curse. 
And you go, that's kind of an odd way to end the Old Testament. Is it, it ends with the word curse. But if you go to the end of the New Testament, the Revelation, the last chapter in the book of Revelation 22, it says, there shall be no more curse. Because of Jesus. Because of the real treasure. And so what good news. What a blessing that you and I are no longer under the curse of sin as we put our trust in him. Now listen, this morning after we dismiss, our prayer team is going to be available right here in the front. If you want to come and say, I want to put my trust in the Lord, or if you want to come and say, I've got a burden that I need to lay down at the foot of Christ, come and we would be honored to pray with you this morning. But what good news, that we're no longer under the curse of sin because of Jesus. We are forgiven, we are free, we are redeemed. Yes, we are blessed. And so let's live in grateful response to God's gift of salvation, to all that he has done for us. Let's ask him for a fresh faith. Let's trust him and let's enjoy his blessings today and for all eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your hand of correction, for your hand of refinement. We thank you that although we, like sheep, have gone astray, you, the good shepherd, pursue us. And in it, Lord, we long to point others to you. And so, Lord, I pray a prayer of thanks today that we can turn to you that we can be known by you, that you stand ready to receive us, forgive us, restore us because of your great blessings. And so we confess, Lord, the times where we've leaned on our own understanding and the times where we've chased after fool's gold, shiny. And yet, Lord, nothing compares. Nothing compares. Like Paul says in Philippians 3, the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That we would even long to know your sufferings, Lord. Why? So that we could reflect your image. And so, Lord, even through the trial and suffering, we thank you that you are faithful, that your presence is with us, that you will strengthen us, that you will uphold us. And so, Lord, we cling to you today thankful for who you are and what you've done. Lord, would you give us a fresh faith, a renewed passion for your name and for our covenant relationships and for the blessings that come from your hand. We stand ready to receive. Thank you, Lord. We ask it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.